This time we have opportunity, as we do week in and week out, to open the scriptures and to hear about the good news of Jesus. And so I want to invite my friend Todd Kent to come up. He's going to lead us in a study called Persevering in Faith Together. So thank you, Todd. Well, it's great to be with you here this morning. Um, I feel like I, I teach courses at Texas A&M, and, and, and my classes, half the students are online and half are sitting in front of me, and I kind of feel like that's the way it is this morning. And I look forward to the day when we're all uh, together again. I, I've got my good friend Jim Rogers here, who's, who's also a professor at Texas A&M, and uh, we worked together in, in uh, Texas A&M University in Qatar, and we had, a, we had a church there, but we weren't allowed to have any full-time staff. In fact, John actually came out and, and uh, worked with us there one time while we were there. And so when we didn't have any guest pastors, the elders would have to preach. And, and at one point in our, in our existence there, you had to preach three straight times because the room would hold about 150 and you'd, you see, so you'd preach at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and at 12 noon. And, it, and, and I, I was thinking about it, I was preparing today, because at the 8 a.m. service, it was just a few people who were hardy and got up early, and you were, you were trying to work through the kinks of your sermon. At 10 a.m., you, 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 you nailed it, because you, you fixed all your problems. And at 12, you were too tired to give it, and so it, it was probably the, uh, the worst of the time. So I, I tell you that, because since I only got one shot this morning, I don't know what you're going to get. No, I, we're gonna, it's going to be great. Um, if you look at the, at the screen, in fact, I made the mistake that, a faculty, that, a, that an academic makes, and that is I put way too much on the, on the, on the slides, um, and I have way too many diagrams, because I like diagrams and I like words. So if, if you want a copy of this, just uh, let us know. Send John a, an email, and I'll send you a copy if, if uh, we move too fast or there's too many words. The, 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 the passage that I want to focus on this morning is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It's very familiar to everyone. Once you, once you hear it, you'll, you'll remember it. I've kind of been involved in, in ministries for years. We always use this because it's such a good kind of a, a verse to, to encourage one another, to, to, that we would confront one, or consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that we would keep meeting together, that we would draw near to God. These are all things we want to hear. But before, what I want to do today for you is to try to put this in context, because I think it actually means more when we don't take it in isolation, but we see what the, the writer of Hebrews wanted it to be for us. So if you, if you, um, you can see on the screen, there, there's a book, a new book out by Alistair Begg, and, and Alistair, Alistair Begg is a a pastor from Ohio. He's actually Scottish by uh, birth, and, and, and uh, he, he's great because if you hear him on the radio, you, what, the first thing you're going to say is, I love his accent. He's got this great accent we all wish we had. He just came out with a new book, um, Brave by Faith, and what he does is he looks at the first seven chapters of Daniel and shows us how to live bravely, confidently, and obediently in a, in a world that's becoming more secular all the time. In, in a recent um, Gospel Coalition uh, post, he said this, and I think, uh, in fact, John used part of this uh, last week, but I think I want to revisit it. Follow along with me. Perhaps it is only the last few years in the United States that we have finally faced what the Bible says is true. In this world, we are really sojourners and exiles. 
That reality has been clouded and obscured by the size and legal protection of the church in most of the Western world. But this world is not actually our home. We are not supposed to settle down here. We're not supposed to expect the church to be large, influential, and respected. Christians are increasingly going to be seen as different, not in a good way. We are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and comfort. The next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel, but antagonism. And that's okay. After all, that has been the reality for most of God's people through most of history. Is he correct? I don't know. It's something to consider. Are we going to have to choose between obedience to Christ and his church and comfort? Are we going to see instead of apathy towards what we do, antagonism? There's some signs out there that maybe that's true. What I want to do is I want to to use this as the backdrop, and, and, and as we go into the, uh, the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews can shed some light on this for us. In fact, um, a, a lot of what we see in the context of the, of the letter to the Hebrews is this very uh, idea of, of living the Christian faith in the midst of uh, some types of persecution, whether it be within the church, within the community, or even uh, governmental. Hebrews has two primary purposes. One is to encourage Christians to endure. We're going to look in just a a few minutes. We'll see that the the idea of persevering in the faith is a big theme in Hebrews. The second uh, primary purpose of the the letter to to the Hebrews was warn them not to abandon their, their faith in Christ for local Jewish teachings. Don't abandon what you know for something less for, uh, because of the persecution you're facing. This group of believers was temporarily shaken by fear of persecution and grief over the loss of their Jewish identity and community. We're going to see as they, as they uh, were living out their Christian lives, they began, the, the, the community began to part from them, and that was hard. And, and also... This was written in the midst of persecution. There's, and we're going to read about that and we get to Hebrews 10. Uh, a lot of the, 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 the people who would have read this letter would have, would have remembered previous persecutions. I think the, the estimate is that the, the letter to the Hebrews was written somewhere before A.D. 70. And you can see just before that time, there was, there was significant persecutions going on as it uh, affected believers in, the, in this new Christian church. Thinking about Hebrews, follow along with me. It is obvious that these Jewish believers are tired, they're weary, they're persecuted, and they're wavering in their faith. Their homes have been ransacked. Although there had been no persecution to the point of martyrdom yet, it seemed like that it might be on the horizon. And so there were a lot of challenges to their faith, a lot of reasons for them to throw in the towel and go back to their old ways. And the author writes to them, encourage them to stay true to the new covenant that they've come to believe in. This is the context for the the letter to the Hebrews. So what we see here is is two themes. One, for for this group of believers, don't reject um, what you know, but reject the local Jewish teachings that are leading you astray. Don't, in this desire to, to be like the people around you, forgo what you know to be true. 
And the second, to endure, as we've already talked about, remain faithful to Jesus. This is the, the two big themes. Now, interesting, um, they accomplish this in the, they're asked to accomplish this within the context of persecution. It's, easy, it's easier to, to be challenged to do certain things when there's, when there's not any persecution in your life. There's, there's nobody pushing you to do something else. Well, we, what we find in Hebrews is that uh, there was great persecution coming on. And so they were, they were saying, don't follow for these, uh, the local Jewish teachings. Stay true to Jesus, but yet in the context of, of persecution. So the audience of Hebrews were believers that were familiar with persecution. So let's talk, and, and Hebrews 10 gives us a glimpse of what is meant, what, what we mean by persecution. They, they suffered in the past. They lost property. They were imprisoned. They suffered public ridicule. And they were tired and wavering in their faith. Um, look, let's look at Hebrews 10. But recall the formal, former days when you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So this, this letter didn't go out to people who didn't know uh, what, they were, what was about to come, or could come. They had been through it before. So, they were called to reject local teachings, in the, in, in the early Christian, uh, in the early days of the church, um, the, the, Christian, the, the Christians were identified closely with, um, with, Jew, with, the, with the Jewish uh, um, uh, group of uh, Jewish, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jewish community. Uh, and, and they, but as time went on, there began to be a separation. But they realized, but but it was it was common it was known that as you um, as you focused on as you were as you were closest closer to the Jewish community that kind of protected you from some of the persecution that went on that it would as the Christian community became more uh, became di more different and, and separated from the Jewish community that's when uh, persecution. Um, was likely and, and even and could grow. So there was this there was this temptation to kind of to, to become like the culture in a way. And we face that too as, as believers. We 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 want to be liked by the culture around us. And, and sometimes when we become uh, too Christian or too biblical in, our, in the way we do, we we we're, we're kind of separated out from the culture, and we don't like that. And that's certainly what was going on here. Uh, even the Book of Acts reported that. Uh, the local leaders of the synagogues, they would reject the followers of Christ and encourage authorities to mistreat them. So when we talk about rejecting local or Jewish teachings, the author of Hebrews here is not dealing with uh, the idea of, of uh, legalism or hypocrisy. It was dealing with erone uh, erroneous beliefs. Uh, Hebrews 13.9, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. So what, we, what, what the, the, the believers were challenged to do is reject these erroneous beliefs, get back to the gospel that, that, uh, that you know.
The second thing was to remain faithful to Jesus. One of the great themes of the book of Hebrews is the need to persevere. You cannot read the book of Hebrews with, uh, with its warnings and its exhortations and not come away with the author saying to them, as he, as he really preaches to them, that they need to persevere. They need to keep going. They need to not turn back. That they need to press on in the Christian life. This is what we read in, in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight every, and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Consider him who endured um, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We are challenged, or the Hebrews are challenged, to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of persecution. Well, this is, I've gotten to the diagram I wanted to get to this morning. I laid the context here that the, the, the book of Hebrews was written um, for those two purposes, and, we, and the, in the, the context that they were living in was one where Christians being persecuted for their faith. So what, what I want to get to is, is, what is the middle square there, which is I've called exhortations on kingdom living on earth, Hebrews 10, 19, but to understand that, we have to understand what happened in Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. It's very important because here the, the, the writer of the letter of, uh, to the Hebrews is, is, sets his argument, I say his argument, I assume it's a male, um, sets his argument uh, starting with verse 1 in, in chapter 10, and that is that we have a superior new covenant. Let's read through this. And this is from 10... Chapter 10, verse, verses 10 through 18. And, and so this is, this is laying the ground for work for what we're going to see next. In verse 10. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered... For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time, from that time until his enemies should may, be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14 is significant. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 16. This is the covenant <clears throat> that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The old covenant, or the, the old way of the, the priest would offer an animal sacrifice to, to be, which is kind of a shadow. It, was not, it, was, it could not do away with sin. But when Christ came, this new covenant, and, and uh, offered his body, what we got in return was, was eternal forgiveness of sins. It was a change. And so um, um, the, everything had changed. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing here in, in, in chapter 10 is reminding these believers who are suffering, who are ha having a crisis of faith, living in persecution, is think back to this new covenant that you are a, partake, a partaker of. This is significant. So this, we have this superior new covenant now that we, uh, uh, Christ has changed everything. 
And then we move, in fact, if you, we're gonna, we move to chapter, or to verse 19. And, and, it, and the reason that we had to read the previous part, because 19 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore. So it's saying, based on what we just, you, I just told you, therefore, let's move forward. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Why do we have confidence? Is because we have this new covenant. Jesus, death on the cross, has, is, uh, you know, I'm always remember, reminded of the, of the scripture that when uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's exactly what happened. So now we, rather than being fearful of the Holy of Holies, we can enter into the... Uh, uh, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have this new covenant. So the, the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of this new covenant and, this, and this, this, this relationship we have with God. So confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So you can see here that the, um, the curtain is, is pulled away and we have confidence that we can uh, uh, go into the most holy place. And so in verse 22, <clears throat> the writer says, let us draw near to God. To finish this, this passage, and let us let, let us unhold, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the this is this 19 through 25 is what I wanted to focus on today, but it's important that we understand that the argument made here by the writer is that this we have this new covenant, and we need to focus on that by drawing near to God, and then focus on our relationship with one another. If you if you look up there, you'll see a diagram, and and as that and academics that I mentioned always draw diagrams. You get points for drawing, for having diagrams, and that's certainly um, what we want to do this morning. So, verse 22 is that we are to draw near to God. In fact, in Hebrews, seven times the the writer of Hebrews says "draw near," uses that terminology "draw near." Um, in fact, I think it's the main point of verses 19 through 22 that we're because of this of this of what Christ did, we can now with boldness, with confidence, draw near to God. So these, this group of believers that's struggling out in the world is challenged to draw near to God with confidence. Hebrews 4:16 is an example. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. John Piper says, this is not a physical act, this is an invisible act of the heart to draw near to God. So our first, our first kind of command or, or challenge as we read through this is that 
that because of this new covenant, because of, of this relationship we have with God, we can draw near to God with, with confidence. Second, from verse 23, we're, we're told to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Another, another version of the, uh, the Bible says, hold steady. So hold steady to the, the hope we profess. Well, what we're, when it says that we're to hold steady to the hope that we profess, the object of our hope we know is faithful. Look what God has promised to the Hebrews in this letter. He has promised to write the law on your hearts. He has promised to work in you what is pleasing in its sight. He has promised to remember your sins no more. He has promised that we will be perfected for all time by a single sacrifice. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to bring good from all our pain. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is, 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 is saying to the Hebrews, we understand, I understand, hold firm in the faith. Don't fall for, for teachings uh, that are contrary to what you know. And you can stand firm even in the midst of persecution because the object of our hope is faithful to do what he said he was going to do. Next, we're challenged in, in verse 24 to consider how, we, how to provoke love and good deeds in one another. Some of our challenges were t- between man and God. This is between man and man. Uh, I'm quoting John Piper here. He says, literally, this is God's call on us to consider one another. That is to, to look at one another, think about one another, focus on one another, study one another, let your mind be occupied by one another. When you get up in the morning, consider Think about, ponder, deliberate, meditate, mull over other people with this conscious goal. What can I do today so that they will be stirred up to love and good deeds? What can I do today that they'll be stirred up towards love and good deeds? You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> I've always thought about this in, in the context of the church and, um, and small groups and our relationship with others is consider the act, the, 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 act, the action that has to take place for me to think about you and you to think about me, that we would consider one another. But we're not just to consider generally, we're to consider how can I create a, a, and help you to um, live and provoke love and good deeds within you, and how can you do that for me? It's a great challenge. And this is the challenge of the, Hebrew, of the writer of Hebrews to the believers, that they would do that for one another. Verse 24 gives well verse 24 gives us a focus which is consider. Verse 25 gives us a how. When in verse 25 it says that we are to meet with and encourage one another. To meet with and encourage one another. So the how is this, that one that we should we should get together and encourage one another. In fact, if you go on and read the scripture, it says, uh, don't forsake the assembling, one version says, as some are in the habit of doing. Um, and so this is challenging us that in this, in this context that we've talked about here of uh, persecution of the believers, this antagonism to their faith, that we need to get together. The implication here is that there's mutual encouraging going on that we, we get together, you encourage me, and I encourage you. It's not one way. We should not expect our pastor to be the encourager. We need to, it, it, this is mutual encouragement 
that goes on. That's what the Christian life is all about. So the, this verse 25 really shows us two different types of people. One is those that gather and encourage. And the second type of, of, of people are those that are not in the habit of gathering. And I know that we've lived in pandemic times. I look forward to the, to the day we, we get back together that we can really fully uh, live out what we're reading in verse 25 in, of, of Hebrews 10, that we gather and encourage one another, that we consider how we can uh, provoke one another towards love and good deeds. And the key to our encouragement is hope and rooted in the faithfulness of God. And that's really what the, <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is that that we encourage one another because we're, we partake in this new covenant. We have confidence to draw near to God. We draw near to God, and then we have responsibilities one uh, to another. So, really the message is this. The life prescription for the Hebrews is the same for each one of us. What the writer of, was telling, what the writer of Hebrews was telling to the believers it's what we need to do. We need to draw near to God because we can have confidence because what he has done for us. We can hold steady to the hope we profess because the, the object of our hope is faithful and has promised us great promises throughout scriptures but also through the, the letter of Hebrews that we need to consider our relationship with one to another, consider how to provoke love and good deeds between each other. We need to get together and encourage one another. You know, some use that, that scripture as, uh, to say bash people for not coming to church, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's not just church. It's our small groups. It's, it's getting together. It's inviting people to your home. It's, it's preferring the actions of getting together with other believers because there's purpose in that, to encourage one another. So let's don't reduce it down just to coming to church. Let's, let's like it more broadly as we think about relationships within the body. Let's revisit Alistair Begg's article. <clears throat> he talked about that we were going to have to consider whether we're going to be comfortable or obedient, maybe, and that maybe there might be some antagonism to the, to the church and not just apathy towards the church. We asked the question, is this true or not? We don't know. Here's how he finishes up, and I thought this was, was excellent, and I agree with him totally. He says, your church may seem small as you drive to meet with the household of God on a Sunday. You may pass hundreds of houses whose inhabitants give no thought to what you are doing except politely or not so politely to deride it. It may feel little, but God's kingdom is unsmashable. I like that word, unsmashable. And it has an embassy in your neighborhood that we call the church. The church is an embassy in our neighborhood. That's a, that's a great vis, uh, visual. Don't be discouraged as you meet. Don't be distraught over dwindling numbers or more and more hostile media. Instead, commit to it. Serve your church family. Give yourself to it. Because when the Lord builds his church, either in number or in maturity, through our labors, gifts, and giving, we are being used to build the only kingdom that will last forever. There is nothing coming next. So give your best to this kingdom. It may feel small, but it is never in vain. For this kingdom is eternal, and it's God's. So we do not panic, and we do not vent, and we, want, and we enjoy a deep confidence, even as the tides seem to run against our faith. 
God is God. He is in control. And his kingdom, his church, ultimately knows no rivals. In a way, isn't that the message we have in Hebrews here? Hebrews, as the the writer said, and I think we can apply it to our lives, we can stand firm. We don't reject reject the teachings of this world. Stand, persevere in the faith. Even in the midst of of persecution, you know, we in this in the in the in our uh, the the years that we've lived here, we, the church has had it fairly easy. Not all over the world, but at least in the Western Church. But stand firm, because <clears throat> if we draw near to God, in fact, I'll put it up there. If we draw near to God, we hold steady in the hope that we profess. If we look for opportunities to consider how we can provoke one another towards love and good deeds. If we meet and encourage one another, what we're going to have is a strong community that can withstand, even as our society becomes more and more secular, we as a church, our embassy for our community can stand strong. So thank you. Let me pray. Father, thank you that that you look after us. Thank you that for the, the words from Hebrews that we can draw near to you with confidence. Lord, that uh, we can enter into a place that we've never been before because of uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Lord also help us to remember that we have a relationship and we have a duty towards our our fellow believers, Father, to to consider how we can provoke one another towards love and good deeds. And then, Lord, that we have a duty to get together and encourage. So, Lord, no matter what comes our way in this world, I pray for our church. I pray for the church of Jesus Christ that we would be strong and we would stand firm in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.